to the Champagne Sharks. How's everybody doing? You can go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, become a member, get access to extra episodes, you get access to a Discord server, which allows you to ask our upcoming guest questions and we'll pose them on your behalf. And yeah, things, things like that. You guys know the deal by now. Uh, but basically, well, today we have a guest that I've been meaning to have back on for a while. She was one of our first guests, um, Jessica Crispin. You can just say hello to everyone and let people know who you are and where to find you. Yeah, so, um, hi. <laughs> um, I am, I guess, a columnist for The Guardian, and I have a podcast called Public Intellectual. And yeah, jessacrispin.com has the stuff. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so I actually asked you on before uh, to come on with Yasmin, Yasmin Nair, but I'm kind of glad that didn't happen because um, some of the stuff you, you've written about more recently I thought was pretty good and worth talking about uh, on its own with, with just you. You had an article about, I don't even know how to, how to describe this trend. <laughs> How, how how would you how would you describe this trend? What, what, like like the I was trying to think of a way to you, you call the feminist paper dolls. Yeah, Could you explain what that is. Yeah, so I wrote a piece about um, the uh, Curtis Settenfeld wrote essentially a novel of fan fiction about Hillary Clinton uh, reimagining her life had she never married Bill Clinton and just stayed Hillary Rodham, um, and it was completely. Uh, a fantasy version of Hillary Clinton, a Hillary Clinton that ha has never been touched with corruption or um, or an evil thought in her in her head, and, and this coincided with the releases of Miss, Mrs. America, the um, the FX show that presents Gloria Steinem as of just very well intentioned. Uh, anti-racist white woman just doing her best um not taking money from the cia <laughs> um oh oh, oh 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 wait wait did they just omit her taking money from the cia or did they actually say that she rejected like did no, they avoid the topic it, it's just totally it's just totally absent it's like the cia oh. never existed that's, that's bad enough. Uh, I was worried that you were saying that they took the even extra step of having her being like CIA. No way. No, um, I don't. I don't know necessarily that the that the people who wrote this show knew anything really about second wave feminism. Like it just seemed to be uh, filtered through Wikipedia articles about each each feminist like Betty Friedan is somehow not wildly homophobic not racist um and also just sort of also very well intentioned um when Betty Friedan was you know her version of feminism was just like well, why can't white women <laughs> bomb other countries oh my God. or run tobacco you know uh, corporations or whatever the fuck um like that was her version of feminism was power feminism um, and she was extremely hostile to any sort of structural feminist or uh, anti-racist um, feminist. Um, she was just, she was absolutely a nightmare. And she's presented, of course, very, uh, she's just curmudgeonly and people don't understand her. So basically the paper dolls thing is just like, oh, you can dress them up in any outfit you want and pretend like that's who they are. It has nothing to do with um, their actual substance or character. I just thought of another weird book. Hold on, I just put I just put the link the link in there. Like as you're talking, I th more things pop in mind. But Mina Harris, the daughter Maya Harris and oh, the God, niece yeah. of Kamala Harris, she um 
has been pushing a children's book of uh and it's like the childhood of it's called kamala and maya's big idea and it's her mom and her aunt basically as as children i'm like this is like the weirdest type of shameless there's something almost admirable about how shameless like like the, the nepotism is yeah right that she's just cashing in on on her mother and aunt to uh write a book and she's always doing stuff it's kind of cashing in on what her her mother and her aunt's connections but it's interesting like she's kind of feels that there's a market for this infantilized discourse and a lot of people are like leaning leaning into it like i talked about the hillary children's book with you that had a really weirdly infantilized you go girl like this kind of young adult hero's journey type of thing, um, reducing everything to that hero's journey formula that they use in all the movies now. And the way you describe Miss America, kind of Mrs. America, kind of sounded like that as well. Yeah, no, there's a there's a huge market for this. Um, you know, I was in last time I was able to go into a bookstore. You know, they have a children's book of the life of Coco Chanel somehow leaving out the part where she fucked Nazis and uh, used the Holocaust to her advantage to gain control of her perfume line back from its Jewish owners. So, like, it's it's really... Uh, it's just like, oh, I wore a dress and people liked it and now I have all of this money. Um, so it, it, it is these very childlike storylines. It's just that... It, at least with this particular book, um, it is actually for children. Uh, but with Rodham and with Mrs. America and with some of this other stuff, um, these are adults. These are adults capable of complex thought, I would hope, um, who are reading and enjoying this material and thinking of it as, you know, bettering the world in some way. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I think, do you, do you know how, for example... There's times where I uh, will critique like a superhero movie or a Marvel movie or something, and mm -hmm. someone will be like, oh, you know, what's wrong with you? That's for kids. You know, you look like an idiot, you know? But then first thing I'll think is, these things make a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. I think people pretend this is for kids. I think people bring their kids to it because they really want to watch it. Like, and these things are full of like storylines and attempts at politics and relationships that you know it's an illusion i think that a lot of these things are for kids i think the ship has sailed i don't think people even really care if the kids even can enjoy this stuff like, like we're making rated r superhero movies now mm -hmm. and and complaining that uh they need more extreme cuts and what i'm trying to say is i'm not totally convinced like even the children's books are not really for the adults too i got a feeling yeah. like a lot of these people buy the same way people like i think some people borrow kids to sometimes go to these things i've, <laughs> I've heard of i've heard of women who like want to go see Twilight and they borrow like their sister's kids to go oh so they don't God. feel like you know they're doing it for themselves. Like I think I think adults are actually probably reading even the children's books. Like I think they're both for the same audience. The same way um, most comic books now are read by forty year old men and people still pretend this illusion that it's mostly about the kids. Even though like Marvel movies are a billion dollar industry, like there's not that many that many kids or parents in the planet make those things. Well, we we have we have adults who write for major national publications who use metaphors about Harry Potter to explain complicated political situations, right? So it, yep. it's, it's, we're definitely in this sort of young adult and below zone in our ability to process information, <laughs> I'm guessing.
no, it's, it was very true. And even the adult, even the stuff for adults now has like a young adult tone to it. It's, it's just mm-hmm. very weird. Like people focus a lot on the superheroes and the comic books. But on the female side, there's okay. a young adult thing that I think is like mirroring. I don't know if you've seen some of those weird controversies where like there's one thing where some young adult authors got together and Roxane Gay was in there too. And they were dogpiling mm-hmm. some college student who said yeah. like, you know, sh- she wanted a more serious book in the itinerary and just like bullied her like a, a mean girls type of yeah, yeah weird weird stuff um i just thought of another example um here's a book um we provide a coco chanel mm-hmm. there was a jean-michel basquiat children's book that came out called radiant child and it just kind of made him seem oh like a God. plucky little kid who cared and if you ever read about jean-michel basquiat he had a pretty terrible life and he wasn't like, the nicest guy either he uh was very like a uh, psychologically abusive to his partners. He was a drug addict for a huge part of his life. Like, and he got like his exes hooked on one of them was already on drugs. Uh, they got into it together, but he got like another one into drugs, and she had to struggle with addiction for like the rest of her life. And he was always doing all this stuff. But this book just made it just seem like the cutest, pluckiest, um, karate kid, bad news bears type of. If you dream it, you can achieve it type yeah. of thing yeah. yeah yeah and and this is not like a judgmental thing on john michelle basky i don't say oh he's a bad guy but i'm saying like do you really need to glorify uh and whitewash his life to kids like who are you helping but again i don't think it was for adults i mean i don't think it was for kids yeah i'm well in the last several years we've had this rise of um biographical movies and they are told in these very simplistic ways and i and i understand the impulse behind it i understand that like we've been told how great men white men are for such a very long time and they are they sort of occupy this imaginative space of this is what an important life looks like and so i know that there's this very good intentioned um desire to create a different form of role model but just sort of copying that template without understanding that you're making the same errors that you criticized um the white male filmmakers and hagiographers and biographers and and so on for which is basically cutting out anything complicated or dark or disturbing about a person's life in order to make them look better. Um, you know, you can't, it's a mistake to just repeat those same errors and, and to insist on things being simple, people being heroic. Um, it's, it's not a great, (laughs) and also these things are so boring. They're so boring. Mrs. America is so boring. (laughs) Well, well, it's kind of weird, like how there's things to me that seem pretty boring, but people have an endless appetite for them. So then I start wondering, like, are these people bored and lying to themselves? Or are these people generally riveted by this stuff? Or maybe they're boring people themselves. So, you know, they're, gen- they're generally not not bored because they're as boring as a source material. But I haven't seen Mrs. America, so I, I have to defer to you on what your opinion on that one. But I do know what you're talking about, about boring things, just boring and predictable things, just being exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the people who like it are very boring. Um, but also I think that, um, I don't know that it's just such a, a, a teenager suburban worldview. Um, to me, that sort of explains a lot of it. 
Yeah, we're in this weird monoculture that's happening where everything's just kind of flattening to a certain aesthetic. I've been struggling to figure out what is the center that, you know, maybe everything's gravitating most closely toward, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. like if like if there's a bunch of disparate influences that are coalescing, like what is the the one that is the most uh defining? And like to me, I think it's gotta be the whole even though the site itself is kind of not what it used to be, but I think the culture created by the site, uh, which is which is like Tumblr, I feel like there's like a Tumblrization of <laughs> of of everything. You know, like like I think it's transcended the actual site. Like I don't think that many people are even still on Tumblr, but its legacy is still with us, so to speak. It's like uh, how people describe the Velvet Underground or something, where they say, "Oh, uh, they didn't sell that many records, but uh, they inspired like a ton of bands." Like I feel like mm-hmm. like what you described. Uh, what you described, there was also, it reminded me of this Obama meet cute rom-com yeah. uh, movie that they made. Like, instead of making like something interesting about really grappling with tough tough issues of his life, they made um, a rom-com. With, and um, these people didn't even really look like the Obamas. They just looked like, uh, <laughs> they, they could have been anybody. <laughs> generic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. generically hot. Mm-hmm. people who had a the guy had a kind of vague passing resemblance to obama the woman a barack the woman looked nothing um yeah like, nothing like, like michelle. michelle yeah yeah at all and the traders just like it didn't need to be about the obamas you could have changed the names and no one would even know that it was even remotely based on them i have a counter theory to your tumblr theory if you oh please would like please share it, it. I'm, I'm welcome to it um we we have a culture that is dominated by the professional classes, people who went to good colleges, people who came out of suburban environments, um, and people who were very localized on the coast. And that's always been the case that it's been dominant, but it is hyper-dominant now in the way that art and literature used to be the domain of the loser. (laughs) Now it's aspirational. Um, The idea, you know, journalism used to be a very working class profession. Now you have to have gone to Columbia in order to get a job with the New York Times. So it's become a culture that is encased within an exclusionary university system. And there's a good book on the subject, which is um, Natalie Ola's Steal As Much As You Can. Um, And she sort of posits it as the new culture war, which is not a culture war of the right against the left. It's uh, against it's working class versus professional class. Um, And um, I think it's I think it's great. I think I think what you're saying can probably overlap with what I'm saying. And and. I'll tell you how, and I'm and I'm thinking about this on the fly. So 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 bear with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they are from all these elite institutions, but they also seem to these 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 elite institutions seem to be producing more of an infantilized thought. But something that you you find from a lot of these people too, right? Like a lot of these people, you'll find out that they stole their stuff. Uh, like they're able to get into these places because of their pedigrees or whatever it is hyperdominant culture but these people kind of have no personality so they kind of steal the personality off the internet oh sure yeah 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 so so like you're finding that that somebody who's like you know went to like yale school of drama or something you know you find out that um they plagiarize something for tweets or, or things like that <laughs> yeah yeah so i think i think you're absolutely right and but you know, I think it, it can it can actually still incorporate 
what I'm saying, because instead of going back to the storied history of the great minds that these institutions um, um, produced, and I think also partially because a lot of those uh, great minds are kind of predominated by old white men. So I, I, that's another reason why I didn't want to turn back and look at that. They're looking in their minds forward, and forward is just um, stealing free intellectual property off social media. It's, it's not even interesting. Uh, like, like somebody told me once that um, you'd be surprised how anti-intellectual a lot of people from the Ivy Leagues are. Like, they're very good at um, telling what people want, like the professors, and giving it to them, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But somebody warned me, like, you know, you'd be very surprised if you have conversations. She was from the Ivy League. She told me this. She goes, "I never really had that many very intellectually curious conversations," you know. Um, but that that book sounds interesting. Steal as much as you can. I totally agree with you. Like, I, I want to make sure what I'm saying is not a disagreement with you. Like, I I'm saying I. Oh no! Yeah, no. I I I think it's a I think it's a very good combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah, because I get very surprised now about how vaunted. Like, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm people get mad at me because I keep using this guy's example. But the creator of Slave Play went to the Yale School of Drama, and when you go see Slave Play, it's just a combination of uh, pop intersectionality and very dumbed down social media version of uh, feminism and anti racism. Like, and he name drops a bunch of books, but it's it's no deeper than a a Tumblr or. A, a Tumblr post or a Twitter thread, and his next project is actually a movie based on a, tw- a very popular Twitter thread. I think it's like the Angela and Strawberry Twitter thread. Like, oh my god! And, really? and the movie is showing at the movie uh, premiered at Cannes, I think the Cannes film, or the Sundance, one of those, one of those two. It, it premiered at a major um, film festival, and it apparently got raves, and the critics were all raving about it. And I just thought that was so weird. Like, we have like movies and plays just based on tweets and threads and uh. yeah no everybody's everybody's out of ideas and they're out of ideas because they live these totally cloistered childhoods and like a very aspirational life up until they get out of university and then they don't they don't know how to think they don't know how to um adapt they don't know how to experience empathy of anybody who didn't come out of these same systems that produced them like it's and there's just no curiosity there's no curiosity because they were told exactly at every point what they needed to do in order to get ahead and they did the thing and that's it like i just yeah the fact that there's and I and I and I mentioned this a lot too. The fact that there's now like a uh, a degree program for uh, stand to be a stand up comedian in a in oh universities is like is so repulsive to me. <laughs> but it explains why stand up comedy is so bad now. It's a lot so of bad it. right now. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so bad. It's 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 um and. And you know what else too, right? Um, a lot of it is just how, how do I put it? A, a, a lot of it is I feel like the people who are even fans of it aren't really laughing. It's stuff for you to say that's funny, and by that's funny, it's more like a dinner party that's funny. Like like mm-hmm. like as in I think one thing that happen- I think is happening in culture now is that there is this feeling that things aren't popular in spite of being mediocre, but um, because they're mediocre. Because mm-hmm. if this thing is mediocre and you're mediocre in the same way that I am, that means that there's hope for my uh, mediocrity to find a space in the to cash in. Like you know, if you can cash in with your mediocre mediocrity and I'm as mediocre as you, then that opens the door for for me. So I'm actually not celebrating you because 
you're giving me something to aspire to that I might, that I may or may not ever, like, you know, if I see like a great guitarist or a great musician, I might be like, yo, I don't know if I'll ever be that good, but I sure as hell want to try. Whereas I think now it's like, oh, if you're that good, too good for me to even dream of achieving, you're almost um, insulting me. You're actually mm-hmm. giving me narcissistic injury. I It's actually like a, an act of aggression to be to be that good. But this person <laughs> yeah. is, is so mediocre that if they're being treated at the brilliant, maybe they, they actually are brilliant and I'm brilliant too because I could see myself doing that. And everything, yeah, everything is ent- is entirely flat. It's just, and I think part of that is just like the scramble for resources. So, you know, if you're interested in, everybody wants a career now in whatever they're doing. Like there's no, there's no like, or they're, you know, at least they're not getting like the book deals. Like there's no bartender writer anymore. There's no. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to shoot straight, uh, straight for the top. Everyone wants to shoot straight for the top, but but you know what, what you said too. I think is very interesting. Is like, and you said this in in the article. You said that everything has to be self actualization now. Yes. Everything has to be yeah. about self actualization, and I think art has become one of the main things of um, self actual, the main avenue of self actualization. Mm-hmm. But not only has art become a main avenue of self actualization, like if art is the main avenue of self actualization, then what I'm going to try to do is turn whatever my job is into art. So it's like, I feel like people even like post online. Uh, one of our recent guests, Matt Crispin said like everyone who posts online now thinks they're an artist, like, mm-hmm. like posting is their art. And, you know, in their mind, it's kind of an artistic career. They, they think about, they think of it as like a, as a micro artist kind of, you know? And I think even politically, people think of being a politician as like um, an art mm-hmm. more than an actual like, job with the real nuts and bolts things to be to be done i, I think that's why it's so easy for obama and and his wife to just jump straight into uh, a netflix production company yeah 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 his his whole presidency was, a, was like a active personality or an active um influencer or a measuring of curating well yeah i mean he wanted to be a writer as far as i can tell um but then you know that's always that's always everybody always wants to be a writer. I don't understand as a writer. I do not understand why anybody wants to be a writer, but they all they all fucking do, and I and I I will never understand it. But um, I think everyone wants to be what they think a writer is, but right. the yeah. actual work of writing, once you get down and do it, I think a lot of people realize uh, this is actual work. <laughs> this is not. I, I thought being a writer, like I think people have a teenage girl's diary idea of what writing is. Like, like you know, like uh, a teenage girl in her diary will think every single one of her thoughts, or like, or like a young guy who just entered college and thinks he's a poet. You know, they think uh, when you're young, you think every one of your thoughts is transcendental. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you read it when you're older, and you're like, oh, this is cringe. Like, I think a lot of people are not are growing that impulse now, and they think actual mainstream real professional writing is just basically uh navel gazing blog posts they think being a novelist is just thinly veiled navel gazing versions of yourself they think being a calmness is that and to be fair uh, the truth is i'm not wrong these days (laughs) (laughs) it really is becoming that so i don't know yeah i mean well they want to be writers but they don't want to be poor and um yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i'm I'm, please please go on because i feel like i've been talking too much Oh no! I mean, it, you know, the fantasy of of having some sort of cultural importance is obviously a, a long one, but yet we seem to have like an entire 
generation or two now, like so steeped with this, this idea that they that that's what they're supposed to do. Like the the whole point of the artist or the writer as being some sort of creative rebel was that there was something to rebel against, which was that they were, you know, they were unacceptable. They were unacceptable to to society. And so this was all that they could basically do because they were, you know, poor. They were mentally ill. They had a drinking problem, whatever the fuck. They couldn't cope. And so they sort of ended up in these um, creative pursuits because they can't function. But we have all these people who are perfectly capable of making a career on Wall Street who decide instead to work at the New York Times. And it makes a difference. It totally makes a difference in the culture. Like reporters and and writers of all kinds and visual artists and filmmakers, you know, the, the, I recently was reading this um, history of 1940s Hollywood. You know, Hollywood was refugees. It was founded by refugees from World War II. And now it's run by, you know, these dynasties. Um, and as I'm an aristocrat. I just don't care. Do me a quick favor. Can you give me the name of that book? Because I've been looking for a guest to talk about that exact topic. Yeah, it's called City of Nets, and it's by um, Otto Friedlich. Okay, and I'm so glad you said that because I was actually planning to bring that up as well, that um, acting has changed. Because acting, um, like Cary Grant used to be called Archie Leach. His name was Archie Leach, and he had odd jobs for being an acrobat to a sign painter and different things. And now Benedict Cumberbatch is somebody who descends from old slave money. Yeah. I mean, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, um, the Fleabag lady that is apparently the voice of our generation, her father was named in the Panama Papers, for fuck's sake. Like, her, and yeah, her, yeah. her grandfather's a duke. <laughs> Come on. Oh, yeah. Ton tons of people are either uh, children of actors or they're uh, children of, like, scions. Uh, same with journalism with uh, Anderson Cooper. Uh, Ronan Farrow is basically a, an influencer, and you can't mm -hmm. say it. If you say it, it, this is the weird thing is that people buy into it now. It, it's not even something that's making the masses angry. Mm -hmm. uh, they're they're standing these people um like like even like the the so-called lessers of society have kind of accepted this uh cuz these people are famous there's this new thing where if you're famous you're famous automatically retroactively justified now mm -hmm. and 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 if you question it you're 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 a hater even 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 to the people <laughs> who um don't come from the same background they still somehow draw inspiration the benedict cumberbatches in this in this thing and i think it's almost because the mediocrity trumps the, the origins like like they still kind of see these the fact that the fact that they got in based on maybe their name or whatever rather than their talent mm -hmm. um, my theory is that these people even though I don't have money or a vaunted family history like that I do have the lack of talent and the desire to cash in on who I know to get big. So so if I can't mm -hmm. do it through a family, then maybe I can do it by schmoozing or whatever. I'm just happy somebody was able to get in with an avenue outside of just talent and something interesting to say. Right. I mean, obviously, within these sort of cultural power structures, there's always been a nepotistic streak. But the reason why people who were working class, who were... Um, poor who were refugees um, and so on were allowed to gain entry into these systems a lot of the time was because that art was disreputable. Like you weren't supposed to be an artist that was horrifying to your, you know, your parents, to your 
to your lineage. You know, being an actress was akin to being a prostitute. So yep. it, the moneyed people didn't want that, but they definitely wanted to, um, you know, pay the poor people to entertain them. <laughs> yep. um, and I think that we should bring that back because that was better. That Those movies were better. <laughs> those, no, those books they were, were better. better. The acting was better. One thing that was interesting was how the screenwriting was better. Like people came from, and, and my theory is that it has to do with experiences. People came from a wide variety of experiences before mm -hmm. they came to acting. I used to, I got, I'm really like into like old Hollywood. Like I, I like all that stuff. It's interesting stuff where it's like Charles Bronson and Jack Klugman, for example, uh, Jack Klugman from the Odd Couple TV show. Mm -hmm. uh, they were roommates. And and um, they were roommates, and they would share stories about like being being broke, you know. And um, and Jack Klugman attended was a Philadelphia kid who attended Carnegie Mellon, then called Car Carnegie Tech in Pittsburgh. And a drama teacher said, "Young man, you are not suited to be an actor. You are suited to be a truck driver," you know, because <laughs> he was. That's how um, Blue Carter Blue Carter he was, and he went to the college. Then he went he went to Army. Then he decided to head to um, he decided to head to New York to to uh, pursue his dream, and then he gets uh, he gets a uh, apartment with Charles Bronson, and the two of them uh, <laughs> ended up getting uh, famous. But they were both disguised, and they would share stories about how like they had to like uh, share shirts and do stuff like that, and they didn't have enough clothes to go to auditions, like like interesting stuff. Mm. But now, with everyone coming from the Ivy Leagues or money or whatever, I think there's no variety of experience. So yeah. no wonder they have to steal from tweets and steal from stuff because what experience have they accumulated, you know, mm -hmm. to... Well, they went to Berlin that one summer, you know? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> and never left the hotel room. Basically. Yeah, yeah. I only talked to Americans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even someone like, what's his name? The guy who wrote, um, the guy who wrote Madame Bovary. I think that guy came from like the... Um, upper bourgeoisie or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. I forget. I'm drawing a blank, but Flaubert. He had yeah. a very. He had a very. What's that? Flaubert. Yeah, Flaubert. But from what I understand, he had a very interesting life. He traveled around the world and went to all these weird places, and he accumulated all these experiences. But like rich people are not interesting anymore to no. the degree that they ever were. But definitely yeah. not now. If you look at Jill Jill Filipovic's uh, page, it's just really boring. It's yeah it's not, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. The, the actor thing is something that you have me thinking about a lot because I there's a lot of uh, rich actors. Have you heard about how modeling is? Modeling is the same. I mean, yeah. modeling is essentially the same. Yeah, models are all now celebrities' kids. And um, like, I think the Hadids, like their family, their father is some kind of mogul who basically bought them all their looks for plastic surgery and then mm -hmm. bought them their, their careers. Carol Alt and some other models were complaining about the same thing you're talking about. They were saying how you said to have an interesting story or a scrappy teenager or something to be a model. Now all these people are just debutantes. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's why it functions the way that it does, because you don't have to pay a debutante, right? I mean. Yeah, that's true. They're not reading it for, for the salary. Yeah, you don't get paid. I mean, you don't get paid in fashion anymore. You never got paid a ton until you were um, at a certain level. And so there was always this huge income gap between, you know, the low level girls walking catwalks, doing catalog work, and then, you know, the supermodels or whatever. Huge gap. But now, I mean, now there's no pay for the low levels at all. You can work Paris Fashion Week and not get paid the whole time. You get paid, you know, you get a dress, you get invited to parties where you might meet somebody you don't but for the most part you don't get paid for that work anymore 
Check out the link that I just sent you. Uh, it's, about, it's about Carol Alt calling out nepotism and after Kendall Jenner's controversial comments. But they basically, I think I think a lot of people's real job now, I've said this, people who listen to the show know I've said this before, but I think a lot of people's real job now is to be an influencer mm-hmm. and they treat everything else like a decoy career. So I think even the writing now is almost like a decoy career or an afterthought because um, now I think everybody wants you to bring an audience. Uh, and if, because uh, Every single part of media is in decline. It's, it's precarious. Everything is is click driven now. Nothing mm-hmm. is actually subsidized by actual circulation. Everything is about um, how much clicks can things get. So if you're demonstrated to be able to get eyeballs beforehand on your social media account, on if it, back in the day was MySpace, you know now it's Facebook, Twitter, social or whatever Instagram, people will just give you give you a shot at something. And the figure you just bring you just bring the eyeballs with you, and then we'll just multiply the eyeballs that that, that you bring. So yeah, e- even with modeling, like a lot of people, a, a, a lot of comedians that they're recruiting now are off the internet. Yeah, the Instagram girls. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the writers. I'm sure you see what. How many writers have we seen that have been plucked off of Twitter? Oh, a ton. And and how do you gain attention as a writer on Twitter is you say bland, obvious things that get thousands of retweets. And if you say something provocative, if you say something original or interesting, you know, those are the people that get 12 <laughs> retweets. I think it's just not the way that you get attention is by being completely mediocre. I, and I don't know what it is. And what's interesting, too, is that the mediocre people, the few insights that they will have will be stuff that they take from um, those lesser uh, retweeted interesting things. But now yeah. that's coming from their account, people are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like, you know, the person like there's a lot of like uh, tweet that uh, you brought up how uh, Lizzo, cause I think Lizzo has kind of that influencer vibe, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, she stole one of her uh, big hooks from somebody's tweet. She stole the hook, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing that Hillary Clinton tweeted at Lizzo, right? That line of the D, about the DNA test, like so. That's what she's identified with, and that is not hers. She stole it off of a tweet, and then I think had to pay. So um, yeah, and from another artist, from another. Um, I don't, I don't remember her name. I don't want know I, why I'm blanking at the particular moment, but. Stealing it from an independent artist with, you know, of course, way fewer followers and, uh, and you know, record deals and, and that sort of stuff. So it's really, everything is just about pilfering. Everything is open to be pilfered in, a, in our culture. And it's just like 20 people who are allowed at any one time to benefit it. And, you know, in this particularly difficult moment in American history, it seems weird that we have all these people with zero insight into our, our history, our, fu- our possible future, our present, anything, um, are the people taking up all of the space in the media. You know, I think in real time we're actually putting together a grand, a grand unifying theory, because, <laughs> because <laughs> I think I think we really just cracked the code. Because I, th- I think you're absolutely right about this media. Um, I'm sorry, not this media. This this certain elite bubble that is happening. But I, I think also the path. I think even being an Ivy League person, like, like I'm, I'm going to get to like an, another another meta level. I think uh, not only are we more dominated by uh the ivies and and this type of person before i think even within that narrow strata 
there's been a qualitative change. Like, Mm -hmm. as in, I accept to a certain degree that there has always been maybe a certain level of overratedness to these pedigrees, but I am willing to say, and it's not a popular thing to say, that it was a lot less overrated than before. Like, it, they used to, they probably always produce a lot of mediocre thought, but I think they did generally produce some very interesting uh, dynamic thought, which I don't really see anymore. Like, mm-hmm. Twitter exposes it all the time. Like, there are so many people with, you find out that they went to Harvard, Yale, Cornell, all these schools, and they're just so brain dead, you know? And and um, so I think not only is there a, a more domination, like, like you said, but I think the people even at the top, are becoming more and more mediocre. And I think maybe it's because of what what an industry or what a hustle has become to get into these types of schools. Like, mm-hmm. like from the time, like, like, I know people who have kids that are already on track for these types of schools. And they have the most cookie-cutter life. I think that's why the Tiger Mom thing really took off. Because people were just looking for what is the formula the same way now to write movies, people just want to follow the hero's journey and follow these twelve steps from this this screenwriting guru. Like like these kids are these kids are they all take a a, le- a music lesson with some kind of string like a viola or a cello. They do a certain amount of community service. Mm-hmm. They have to go to the right kindergarten. They have to have this certain amount of um, extracurriculars, and they're so like focus group tested to yeah. get into. And they actually hire um, companies. Or advisors just geared toward getting the kids into the Ivy League schools, and then they give them the and the standardized testing and stuff. So I, yeah, I think you're right about the fact that um, I think you're right about the fact that it's more dominated by the Ivy League and the coast, coastal elites than ever. But I also think they're actually generally more boring thinkers, and and it's because of what their industry has become, which makes it doubly bad that they have more influence and they've become worse in the same amount of time. Yeah, and as I'm sort of like thinking about what you were saying with the Tumblr thing. Uh, the Tumblr comparison, um, yeah, uh, the way that the pilfering happens of people presenting sort of interesting stories or ideas or, you know, the woman whose Twitter thread was ter- now turned into a movie for fuck's sake. It's like anybody who actually has character, who has lived a life, um, who is interesting or has a, a different viewpoint, um, the way that that work is taken from them and the way that it's sort of like just appropriated in this way of um you know like say with prison abolition right when prison abolition sort of broke through the mainstream the people that were getting paid to write about it in the mainstream media were not the people who've been the activists who've been doing the work for 20, 30 years or longer. And it's not the people that are, have been um, been activists on the ground, right? It's people who can sort of just flatten out the message for the masses. And when you call them on it for stealing people's work and ideas, they're like, well, I'm amplifying the message and that's what counts. It's like, no, you're capitalizing on other people's work. Like you're getting paid to do this. It's not like you're amplifying it out of the goodness of your heart. You're amplifying it for $4 a word. So let's not pretend that this is a totally beneficial arrangement. But it's, it's it's that thing of like, once you produce something it becomes instantly commodified, but not hardly ever for the actual creator or the originator of it. But it becomes a sort of commodity to be passed around and some people get to benefit from it. Rarely is it the person who originated it, 
but a lot of people benefit and and make money off of uh, the original work in the way that, you know, you post something funny on Tumblr and immediately 80 people steal it and claim that they created it, right? And the person who originally had the joke got eight retweets or whatever. And then, yeah, the Jill Filipovich or whatever. <laughs> and the person who's best at working um, social media will end up running away with uh, credit, you know? Um, oh, sure. Y- yeah, like there was um, somebody talking about how they go viral. And when I heard the amount of work that they put into going viral, right? Like it's, you know, what it reminds me of, um, I knew this guy that would in college, he would like to cheat on, on tests. He would do all these things to try to cheat on tests and papers. Like he would do all types of weird things Like he would, uh, if the professor had like a drop-off box for, um, papers outside his office, he would steal papers, get ideas from them, then return the papers and then move things around in the papers and change the words. This is, this is like before the, the internet was really popular. He would do all this all this stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, the, the amount of like scamming that you do or whatever, and he would be big into also going to the library and looking like he's studying really hard, like like very performatively hustling and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he was always like trying to find like a shortcut, something to plagiarize. I'm like, it would actually take <laughs> less work to just, just study. Like, you know, yeah. like this is so... Like your shortcuts actually take more work than just doing the work. And that's how I feel a lot of, when I was looking at the work that this guy did to go viral, like he would take other people's tweets and um, he took two tweets. You know who it was? It was like Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X, the Old Town Road rapper, mm-hmm. before he became a um, rapper, he was um, a tweet decker. He was he was someone who um, was a Nicki Minaj stand and he was known for making tweets go viral and standing in Nicki Minaj, you know, and he ended up using those lessons from how to go viral and applying it to music and making music made to go viral. Like his music is meme music, basically. It's not yeah, really yeah, yeah. songs. He just took like two uh, popular, he took two popular viral tweets and he said, what, how can I combine them into something else? So then he took a picture um, of a dog alone at a birthday party and he combined one tweet about a certain type of dog with another tweet about a grandfather who had to spend his birthday alone. And he combined him to one tweet that was not even true. He, he took a piece of clip art from the internet and put it up and goes, yeah, no one showed it to my dog's birthday party. And that thing went hugely viral. What the fuck? <laughs> but then when I was reading all this, all the thought that he put into it, I started realizing it's no wonder he can't think of anything particularly uh, deep or whatever, because he's, he's like my friend. He's spending so much time scamming. He has no time mm-hmm. to actually uh, study. Yeah. So I think that's why that's why these people are stealing from Tumblr and stuff because their whole life has been scamming and angling impression management to get into certain schools, certain circles, certain whatever, and all that angling and climbing doesn't leave time uh, for deep thought and reflection or building experience. Yeah, and some you know some people just aren't capable of original thought, right? Um, but we have an entire culture that now doesn't reward original thought we've decided we've decided we like the remix better that's true that's true and and also i mean it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because usually they're not capable of original thought but i feel like the brain is a muscle there's neural pathways in your brain like 
they're not capable of original thought because they never do any original thought. So mm -hmm. whatever neural pathways need to be built for original thought or whatever, or that habit of thinking, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, which then leads to the whole thing of like um, becoming mediocre, in which case you start worshiping mediocrity because mm -hmm. um, yes. it yes. makes you feel good about yourself. It's And, and, to tie this back to the Mrs. America article, like I think it kind of goes to show why we're developing. It's it's affecting everything, even like historical fiction, not just historical fiction, but even uh, probably actual history books are probably getting dumber. I bet. Yeah, no, they are. They absolutely are. Um, I mean, everything, every everything just seems to be flattening out, which doesn't mean that there isn't originality, but just that it's not um, rewarded. And the mainstream, which used to have a a standard of quality, you know, if you pick up any sort of um, best-selling history book these days, it's it's there's a, immediately some sort of scandal about it. It's either plagiarized, it's either fabricated, you know, it's just like completely sloppy, made up. Um, yeah, no, we we just don't have we just don't have thinkers at the moment um, who are. We don't want to pay attention to thinkers as an audience, um, and we also don't train the people who used to be trained by these university systems to take these public positions. They're not taught how to think anymore. You're absolutely right about the, the plagiarism thing. I didn't think about it, but you're right. Almost everyone that gets uh, celebrated there ends up being a plagiarism scandal about yeah. it. Yeah, there was there was a recent one where some woman was writing about social media, and she was like a respected journalist. Like I can't remember the name of this book, but there was a lot of hype about it coming out, and then there ended up becoming a scandal that a lot of it was. Um, I know one of the things she was covering was Vice. I don't know if the whole thing was about Vice or that was just one of the media companies she was discovering. But they found out a lot of her stuff in the thing was um, plagiarized. Is it ringing a bell? Sort of, but there have been so many. So many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, for all I know, I'm probably combining like two or three stories, you know, because... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was the New Yorker guy. And, yeah, no, I mean, well, there were multiple New Yorker guys. There's always somebody at the New Yorker. But I feel like it's less fatal than it used to be. Like, it's more like, I think now everyone's kind of understanding everyone does it. And the real the real uh, punishment for getting caught or being sloppy about it more than actually doing it, I feel. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, remember Stephen Glass? And Stephen Glass was totally like eradicated from from our society, from American society. like Jason Blair. Right, yeah. So you, it used to be like you were totally just omitted from polite society for the rest of time if you were caught sort of fabricating or plagiarizing. Um, now you just move to a different publication. Um, like with the Benny, what's his name? Benny Johnson. Johnson? Yeah, Benny um, Johnson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you, just, you just feel upwards somehow. It's like it's not a big, it's not a big deal because I, you know, it's more that you were just sloppy about about doing it. And well, it means it, it shows that you know how to hustle, right? Like if you're on a deadline, just cut and paste. <laughs> that's true. Your just, dedication. <laughs> and I think everyone knows that they're doing it too, because because I know with the Stephen Glass, uh, the biopic that they had about him, but also. Mm -hmm. The original article that they had about him. People don't, don't know. Stephen Glass was someone at the New Republic who um, was caught like uh, plagiarizing or fabricating like, like a lot of stories. And it became like a huge scandal. And there's still stories about him to this day where people just revisit. Like, it's funny that people still keep revisiting him to flog him. You know, mm -hmm. like, where's Stephen Glass now? Or oh, he's really <laughs> it's struggling now. <laughs> you, know, yeah. just you know, people still gloating about it while there's people getting away with it today who keep uh, rebranding. But one thing I found so interesting is how 
there was in the movie and in the articles like a real shock that somebody would even uh, do this. Like it was unfathomable mm-hmm. that the crime could even be um, committed. Whereas now when it comes out, it's like uh, very blasé. It's like, oh yeah, someone was cop plagiarizing. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're canceled for a day on Twitter where everyone like, like lambast them. Mm-hmm. Right? And then people move on. Yeah. Yeah, like people can't even uh, keep it in their mind more than a month. Yeah, I mean... The media circle is very tight and it's very nepotistic. And once you're in, you're in, I guess, at this point. Um, There's a very small circle of writers who just keep, you know, who just move from publication to publication. Um, And it doesn't matter what terrible fucking things that they do. I mean, I don't even know how, I don't know how anybody who works at the New York Times opinion pages as the columnist, how do any of them have jobs? How do any of them have jobs? None of them understand American society one bit. <laughs> Brett Stevens doesn't believe in science. Like, what the what the fuck? And 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 also, like, I feel like, and here's a good example. Like, Barry Weiss did a recent, did some recent stories, and she did one in Intellectual Dark Web. Yes, but her story in the Intellectual Dark Web. It wasn't the story of somebody who did a deep dive journalistically. Or did some deep insight. She just kind of wrote as like a fan. Like mm-hmm. like she's like someone just listens to a lot of these podcasts and said, "Hey, uh, this is interesting. Let me um, write about the stuff that I'm that I'm hearing." Or mm-hmm. or you know, and in in a recent article, she gave a list of podcasts that she listens to, and I'm like, I think this is how she consumes the world. She consumes the world mediated through entertainment, not through actually living in it. Yeah, Th- that's why her stuff just sounds like a Xerox of a Xerox. Like like it sounds like a glorified. Um, blog post you know and but like you said uh i think the people above them are even more insulated from from uh society so either for being old or for being so rich that they don't even like like whoever's whoever's in charge of uh approving who's hired the new york times or whatever is probably living a very sequestered life themselves wherever they are so (laughs) if barry rice and brett stevens are telling them that, that this is what's going on in the grounds of the culture war then you know who are they to uh yeah yeah, I mean, from from the uh, 40th floor of that 8th Avenue, New York City building, I mean, everything looks <laughs> everything looks the same. I like how you describe the fan fiction stuff in the Mrs. America thing. I kind of wanted to watch it to know what you were talking about, but I just couldn't do it to myself. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to take your take your word take your word word for it. But there's gonna be Elizabeth Warren fan fiction coming up at some point. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure. Of it. I'm sure it's not gonna mention the Native American thing at all. Yeah. Well, I have a theory that she is actually going to be our first woman president. Um, like, I do. I do think that she's gonna be probably Joe Biden's pick. I mean, Klobuchar is dead in the water at this point after Minneapolis. Um, and I think Joe Biden is probably going to die <laughs> yeah, I think in office. <laughs> so I Wait, think that sounds very person. morbid because he left <laughs> and you said he's going to die. Well, it just seems so obvious. Like it's very yeah. weakened at Bernie's or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it's very, it's very black comedy that, you know, everyone is in denial about this, that he's, that he, that he he's basically, he, he's basically like a walking corpse. It's true. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Jill Biden, um, our hardest working ventriloquist of America at the moment. Yeah, no, it's um, it's really it's really intense. But yeah, so she'll probably be our first president, first female president. And then there will be endless, 
endless hagiography, endless children's books. You know, there'll be a 20-part series on Hulu, a documentary, you know, just everything that Hillary Clinton got times, you know, times 20 or so. There's this great, I think it was the 1970s masterpiece theater thing about um, Queen Elizabeth. It's called um, Elizabeth R. You could probably find it streaming now. Like mm. to watch it back in the day, I had to like get it through the old Netflix when he used to mail you the um, <laughs> sure, DVDs, yeah. right? Uh, that's how I saw it. But this thing is amazing. It's from the 70s and it's not super, it's not trying to be super entertaining or glib or anything. It's just, it's a dramatized version of, Queen Elizabeth's life. It's a miniseries. And as I was watching it, I didn't realize how conditioned I was to just believe that biopic had to be fake. But, you mm -hmm. know, everything that was coming up in it, I was like, wow, I wonder what really happened. And I kept Googling and what was on the screen was what really happened. <laughs> and, and I remember being taken aback. And I was like, oh, wait, that's true. And then, like, like instead of, like, watching it and expecting everything to be true and being surprised when it was... Um, fake i had the opposite experience where everything kept turning out to be true and i was like wait so, so wait they actually um put the truth in here and this one i realized wow that's really perverse that's really weird mm -hmm. that um but so after i saw that i realized wow biopics don't have to be fake everyone keeps telling you like they have to be like when like when this movie harriet came out right uh, mm -hmm. that just came out yeah that ended up fl uh, flopping they made her into what you described with Mrs. America. Like they turned it into a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. uh, did you ever see that? Did you ever see the movie Harriet? No, I never did because it just looked so boring. <laughs> oh my god! It. Uh, but, but this is what's weirder about it, right? I we had these podcast episodes about it where we were saying like they basically took Harriet Tubman and formatted like a Marvel movie and they turned it into a origin story. And what's interesting mm -hmm. is uh, to go back to the Queen Elizabeth example, the Kate Blanchett. Uh, first Elizabeth movie is mm -hmm. basically um, filled to the wazoo with lies. Mm -hmm. and, and it's basically a superhero movie. Like, it's an origin story. They treat her armor at the end like uh, Batman getting his costume for the yeah. first time. It's it's, yeah. it's, the, it's thematically the same as uh, uh, Batman Rises or or uh, Batman Begins, whatever that movie was. Like, like it's the same as a Spider-Man movie. They did the same thing with um, Harriet, right? And I did all this stuff where, you know, I made my case that it was basically superhero movie they made her into a superhero they did all this stuff to act like she had superpowers and everything <laughs> and, and you know, they, they literally did i'm not even making that up they uh she got hit in the head as a kid as a slave mm -hmm. by a by a, a slave master with a piece of metal that gave her a little bit of brain damage and she had hallucinations uh, throughout her life and those hallucinations she kind of took to be divine messages from god and stuff mm -hmm. they put those divine messages in the um oh no movie but they omitted that she got it through uh <laughs> getting hit in the head as a kid by a piece of metal uh th this this slave master is trying to hit another slave with a piece of metal and hit her in the head and they left that out altogether they just made it seem like she was born like a, like one of the x-men with superpowers and these superpowers so, are helping her oh, through the movie right yeah so like harriet tubman meets uh joan of arc or whatever the fuck yeah but even 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 worse <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that. I'm glad you said that. That would have been better. They didn't even go there. So so I, I said all this. I did all this stuff. I thought I did some really good pattern recognition and recognize stuff. And then before we did the podcast, I started researching interviews with the director and all the stuff. And everything that I thought like I was so clever to find, she she basically just said in the interviews. She was like, Yeah, we thought it'd be cool to do Harriet Tubman as a superhero movie. And oh my God. they didn't say Joan of Arc. They said we decided to give her a, a spidey sense. Oh my God. <laughs> to... Oh my God. <laughs> 
So the director seriously said in an NPR interview with another grown adult at NPR, which is supposed to be this intellectual place, the, the NPR person said, yeah, so tell us about her superpowers. And like, yeah, you know, we gave her a Spidey sense. And the NPR person interviewing was like, did you actually call it a Spidey sense? And it's like, yeah, we actually said that. I said to my friend, like, she really is like a superhero. And this is kind of her, like her Spidey sense. And so then I was thinking like, oh my God, the interviewer, like, like who watches the Watchmen? Like, like everybody is still, everyone is similarly infant, infantilized. So no one's going to call each other out because they all come up to the same system. So this infantilized director is being interviewed by this other infantilized uh, NPR person. And yeah, yeah. And so... The thing, the thing that I don't understand about I, I can, so I can, I can psychologically understand the desire to create an idealized version of somebody. I, I can understand the desire to create, to want to create a role model and an, an, an inspirational story. But if you actually look up to somebody who's dead, um, it is so unbearably disrespectful to reorganize their life to a more palatable version so that the things that they struggled with are just like, you know, is just part of a hero's journey. So if if you get whacked on the head and you struggle to figure out what is reality and what is hallucination, like it is so offensive to then turn that into divine vision. Um, I, I've... Yeah, and also to take out the slave owner part of it, and and do you, do you know why they took out the slave owner part of it? This is going to be this is it gets even crazier. She so gave an interview and said uh, they didn't want to make a white audiences too uncomfortable with uh, how horrific, like, like they want to focus on the positives and the positives and the achievements of her life, and not so much like everyone's seen slave movies and the trauma, so they tried to downplay actual slave abuse. Great, I love it, love it. <laughs> So, like, we've gone from what I describe. I can't say we because uh, Elizabeth R. isn't an American production. But, I mean, society has gone from, like, things like Elizabeth R. It just has 100, almost 100% factual uh, drama. And it's a riveting drama. It's actually much better than the fake Kate Blanchard version, which mm-hmm. is just feels like cookie cutter, uh, Harry Potter, Star Wars, whatever, hero's journey nonsense. Right. Like, here's another example. There was this in the, David Goyer, who's, like, this kind of screenwriter who does the Dark Knight movies and Blade and all the superhero movies. He um, did this show called Da Vinci's Demons about Leonardo Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. And I refused to watch it because he's, he's a hack, right? I refused mm-hmm. to watch it. But I read an interview with him. He picked a real-life person. He said, so-and-so needed an Obi-Wan, you know, because according to like, the hero's journey template, you know, you need an Obi-Wan. So, okay, this, 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 is, this is it. On one season of the show, they have somebody called um, The Turk, Right, I don't know if this is based on a real someone named Turk. Mm-hmm. The, this is what the article says. The discussion then turned to the mysterious Turk and his influences on Da Vinci this season. And then Goyer goes, someone, no, one of the people on the show says they have a difficult relationship. Leonardo is primarily an empirical thinker, uh, a man of logic and science. And then there's this man asking him to follow what is technically a dream. There's always a question of how much he's actually present and how much of him is in uh, Leonardo's mind and influenced by the drugs he's taking. His relationship is a type of Obi-Wan type character. And then David Gore goes, yeah, he's Obi-Wan. And then they go on and on about how they had different people play um, different roles from the hero's journey and how, but basically all of David Goyer's things basically follow that hero's journey template. But I thought when he did real life historical fiction, he would kind of break that, but he just does the same thing. I swear to God, Joseph Campbell has been the worst influence on our 
culture that I can think of with this whole fucking hero's journey thing. And that's that's also the thing of like these fucking guys, these fucking guys out of these university systems creating art is that they are incapable of original thought. And so they find this way to hack a story, which is the hero's journey, which is like this very recognizable, very mediocre arc, which was already an oversimplification of what storytelling is and does. Presented by Joseph Campbell, used by Star Wars, and now it's like, oh, every story just has to fill these exact beats, and that's it. And that's how you tell a story. It's just like, you know, it's Mad Libs. Just like, I, you know. It's total Mad Libs. You know what's interesting about Joseph Campbell, <gasps> right? Mm. Joseph Campbell, to his credit, I think he ends up retroactively getting a lot of the blame for this. But from what I understand about Joseph Campbell uh, is that he was kind of averaging stories. So he wasn't saying every story has to have one of these, but he just took a whole bunch. Right, and yeah. Yeah, he kind of boiled it down to an average. So, he, so the idea wasn't that every story had these. It was that, you know, a lot of these elements appear in stories. Some stories have, say, eight of these. Some stories have nine. Some stories hit all 12. This guy named Christopher Vogler, this is, and this is a partly apocryphal story, but this guy named Christopher Vogler, he was working at some studio or someplace in Hollywood. I guess he read, he read uh, Joseph Campbell, whatever. And Joseph Campbell is in turn based on Carl, on Carl Jung, right? Um, Yeah. But, but he read Joseph Campbell and he, this is the, the story. I have no idea how true this is. Boiled it down to about 12 steps. He boiled it down to 12 steps that you just do. And the story is, and, 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 and so I swear to God, this is a story. He went to the office. And he, he worked in Hollywood at a, at a big at a big place. Um, I don't remember, I don't remember if it was a talent agency or a or a studio or, or whatever. But he left it in the Xerox machine. Then he went back to the Xerox machine. This, this is the legend. He went back to the Xerox <laughs> machine and it was gone. And then apparently it made its way all through uh, Hollywood. He ends up quitting his job and becoming uh, a screenwriting guru. And his famous book is The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers. And he's made money ever since as the guy who dumbed down. So these people aren't even reading Joseph Campbell. They're reading Christopher Vogler, his dumbed down (laughs) in the the copy. He expanded that, that memo into a book, apparently. He's been eating off of it since. Oh, my God. I had no idea about this. This is amazing. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I think that's a, that's a uh, thing that the template that they're using for this Mrs. America, for this Harriet, for this these new the new Queen Elizabeth movie with Kate Blanchett. It's just and they're using it for the superhero movies and they're using it for Harry Potter. You know, um, David Goyer is like uh, the Carl Jung had something called the wise old man. And then and then. And that's like the kind of self-actualized, that's the archetype of the self-actualized person who's who's fully integrated. Mm -hmm. And then Joseph Campbell talked about how the wise old man often appears in the hero's journey as like a mentor to the hero, you know, on his path to becoming um, a hero and eventually a wise old man. Then, you know, Vogler dumbs that down to just put this character in there. You got to have an Obi-Wan. And that, and, and then, and then uh, David Goyer now just writing things with shorthand saying, uh, we have to put an Obi-Wan in there. So just. Oh my God. Like, when does this burn itself out? Honestly, when, when is it going to happen? I'm probably desperate. When it stops, I'm desperate. Probably when it stops making money, I guess. I guess that's I the only guess. thing. And I don't know how close that's coming. I, I don't know. Well, soon nobody's going to have any money. So maybe hopefully soon. <laughs> Yeah, here's here's what I think the problem is. You know, I think the problem is too. The pie is shrinking, right? And the mm-hmm. pie is shrinking, like the overall money, because everything's getting ruined by the mediocrity. Mm-hmm. But because what's left, because out of what's left, um, these type of uh, 
mediocre things are still at the top. Like basically, they scared they scared away everybody who wants quality or has a brain. So the pie is shrinking, and because they scared away everyone who has a brain, what's remaining in the pie? The mediocre stuff is still on top. So yeah. instead of looking at the overall pie shrinking and being like, hey, this pie is shrinking. Maybe we should do something. They're like, well, look what's still on top. It's yeah. this. People must must like it. And I think that's kind of the, the, the death spiral that they can't get out of. They can't keep, ch- they can't stop chasing the mediocre stuff on top, you know, and not realizing, wow, we've lost millions and millions and millions of asses in the seats. Millions yeah. of people reading pages. Yeah. Because the people running these things are, are, are mediocrities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why it matters that it's like the same, it's the same folks. It's one one small class, one small demographic controlling kind of all of these things. Um, I know that sounds like now like some sort of <laughs> elders of Zion uh, <laughs> conspiracy <laughs> theory. I don't mean it in that way. Yeah, yeah, no, especially because we're talking about Hollywood now, so you especially do not want to go into... Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I would like to stuff. distance myself in every yeah. possible way from uh, the the specific um, conspiracy theories. All right, y'all, so that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good. Thank you.